This is not going to be a pleasant experience. You are going to see and hear things that are not going to be very nice. Experts divide serial killing into two general types: organized and disorganized. An organized killer brings everything he needs to complete the murder. A disorganized killer improvises. Begin. Listener discretion is advised. Our guest today is former prosecutor and current criminal defense attorney, Robert K. Corbett, who is joining us from Charlotte, North Carolina. Robert, welcome back to the program. Hey, thank you for having me. I enjoy being here. Oh, we love having you. We love having you. I love your take on everything. I love following your Instagram. We've got two cases that I can't wait to hear your comments on. They're radically different, but they really make us look at the criminal justice system and everything around it. Okay, so we're going to look at that later. But first, what happens when someone has an identical twin and is accused of murder? I'm fascinated by this case. Can you ever be sure that you have the right twin. It never occurred to me, Robert, that we'd even be having this discussion because it doesn't come up that often in crime cases, right? Yeah, it certainly doesn't come up often. Um, and when you sort of think about it, the only times, well, DNA has become such an important tool in crime solving and everyone has a unique DNA profile. But the only time of where it's going to be an issue will be like this one of where identical twins would have the same identical exact DNA profile. But DNA doesn't appear to be an issue in this case, or it doesn't appear that they use DNA in order to solve this case. But that's where you do have to kind of consider that, of where right. someone says, hey, it wasn't my DNA. Well, it's unique to you unless you have an identical twin. And in this case, he did. It's just amazing. It's like, you know, when it comes to... We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least weekly health and fitness corner also check out nasty boy cc the truest story never told fiction podcast for that real life on the go experience with the 27 year old golden boy who made our guest invite number one list he tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life it's nasty boy cc the truest story never told go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show.
to crime and solving crimes, we rely so heavily on witness identification, on security videos, right, of the alleged perpetrator, the complexities of matching DNA and familial DNA. So all of this is unfolding right now in a Chicago murder case. Kevin Dugar was convicted of murder in 2005 and sentenced to 54 years in prison. The death occurred during a gang shooting with a rival gang, according to prosecutors. The victims are Antoine Carter, he was killed, and Ronnie Bolden, who was injured. Okay, so here's the thing. So Kevin Dugar has always insisted that he was innocent. He even rejected uh, a plea offer, which is very interesting. The, The deal would have been this, that it would have cut his prison time down to 11 years. So he likely would have been released five years ago had he taken that deal, but he didn't. So again, I I know we have this discussion. Everybody claims that they're innocent. Everyone in prison is innocent, but he didn't take a deal that would have been a lot sweeter. Okay. So now Kevin has been released from prison after 20 years because his identical twin wrote a letter Okay, his twin is named Carl, Carl Smith. Carl Smith admitted to being the person who did the shooting, the trigger man. Okay, we're going to put up the pictures for you. For those of us who are watching, you'll be able to see this and judge for yourself. If you're listening, I'm going to describe them. So Kevin is the one who was convicted. Kevin will be on the left. Carl is the one who is now admitting to being the killer and is on the right. Now, except for some slight differences, I would say, in their cheeks, their mouth, and and facial hair, which you can change, they really are identical. Just, it's unbelievable. So, also, they have different last names, and the, the reason being that Carl, the one who says he did it, took his mother's maiden name. All right, so here here we have um, twins, identical twins. Now, you, what you also need to realize is that both of them have been in prison. So um, Carl, who's now saying that he's the real killer, is in prison probably for the rest of his life, is out of appeals, and that's going to factor into the believability of his story. So the twins, Carl and Kevin... They both admit growing up that up until the time that they were eight years old, they used to dress alike. They admit that they did what I call twin shenanigans, always pretending to be the other twin, whether in a social situation or for their purposes, um, crime enterprises. (laughs) They claim, you know, both of them had the same street name, twin, and they said that they operated as one. The twins operated as one, so I think it's very possible that depending on the business transaction, you may or may not have known which one you were dealing with. Robert, what do we do with this? Well, when I first heard about it, um, I was thinking in terms of what happened at the initial trial stage. It wasn't unknown to prosecutors and law enforcement that these Carl, well, Carl's the one who did it. Smith is the one who um, was convicted. The trial, was convicted. So it wasn't right. unknown to prosecutors. No, no, no. Hold on. Wait a minute. I know it's very confusing. So Kevin, Kevin is the one who was convicted. Carl is the one who's saying he did it. Right. 
So it wasn't unknown to law enforcement or prosecutors that Kevin had a twin brother, um, a twin brother who was living that same type of lifestyle. Um, the eyewitness only stated that it was twin. So for them to go forward, it would let me think that they knew that Carl or had some information that Carl was not around at the time or that Carl could have been ruled out as a possible suspect or something that lets them focus on one twin more so than the other, because it doesn't appear that you have any forensic evidence, no DNA, no fingerprints. You just have an eyewitness who says, hey, I know the guy who did it and I pick him out of a lineup. And to further confuse things, Carl, the one who is now admitting that he did it, he apparently was stopped by police after the shooting and he claimed to be the other twin. <laughs> okay, so here you have one of the twins, Carl, the one now admitting it, gets stopped by police. He says, no, no, I'm, I'm actually Kevin. I presume he had to have shown them ID. So I'm starting to, because this one was bothering me last night, honestly. <laughs> last night, I'm like, something's wrong about the stop. I'm like, how did he, and then I realized, oh, I'm such a dope. I'm like, hello. They could very well have two sets of identification on them. Right. <laughs> so, I, I, okay. So, so all of that is continuing to be quite confusing. Now, here's what's really important about what you're saying, Robert, about witness identification and about, you know, who remembers what. Mm -hmm. So... The evidence against Kevin, this is the one who was convicted, relied on the testimony of two eyewitnesses, one of whom recanted on the stand during his trial. So the shooting victim who survived is here is a quick word from our sponsor. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least, Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, Check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast for that real-life on-the-go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. Said that he waited months. This is the other tricky part of this conviction. He says that he waited months to ID the shooter, like who it was and then maybe which twin it was, because he said he planned on settling the score himself. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Go to your happy price, price line. Very believable, right? Totally believable. I mean, if any of of all the things I've heard here about this case, that actually makes perfect sense to me. So now there's an, an a delay in IDing it. This is the the person who's been shot, right? Um, it and if you're working with both of them, I don't know if you all have had this experience with twins. Like I grew up with twins, and and I've had twins in my life, and. If you meet both of them at the same time, for me, it's always, if they're identical, it's beyond confusing. If you only have a relationship with one of them and then you meet the other one, you can always tell which one you know, even though you're still staring at the other one in fascination at how identical they are. I mean, that's, that's my experience, Robert. I, I, I that, that may seem silly, but in an enterprise like this, if you meet twin and you find out that there are two of them and you meet them at the same time how are you ever going to remember which is which right um depending on the circumstances especially something like this if it's at night it happens quick it's a exciting event um definitely a traumatic event you might not be able to tell in terms of which one that you're dealing with at that particular time and i want your opinion on this so getting back to eyewitness accounts and verifying things which we all know can be very faulty Kevin, the one who was convicted, was identified as the shooter from a lineup that didn't include his twin. Please explain that to me. Why would you exclude the twin from the lineup? Well, yeah, and that that does make it sort of tricky. When law enforcement presents a lineup to an eyewitness, you want to get people that sort of look similar in terms of having same characteristics, same complexion, same hairstyle, if they have a tattoo, if they wear glasses, don't wear glasses, but it would be impermissibly suggestive to put both twins in the same lineup. If I was the defense attorney, then you're saying that that sort of lessens the odds as to who the witness is going to pick out. But then you do have that issue of how do you reconcile or how can you say for certainty that it is the right person? So it makes sense not to put both twins in the lineup, but I have to guess that the prosecution also had to have something else at trial, also something else for that witness to say he was able to discern which twin it was at that particular moment. It's fascinating. I mean, this case, everything that's happened since then just makes it that much more complicated than it, and I'm sure that it was extremely complicated at the time and in the moment when you're dealing with with twins, absolutely, with street names, and, and, and there's confusion even among colleagues here. So um, one of the things that prosecutors are saying, that they say that Carl, the one who admitted to this, had absolutely nothing to lose by admitting this and is actually doing his brother a favor. And that's what really is the motivation here. They say that because Carl is already serving a 99-year prison sentence for a home invasion robbery in which a child was shot in the head, that he has nothing to lose, especially because Carl has no appeals. He doesn't have another move like Kevin does with the letter that his brother uh, wrote. So that's why the prosecution is just still refusing to accept that. Now, the courts have been different here. So when this information came to light, when Carl writes a letter saying, I did it, I'm so sorry, forgive me, brother, then that makes it possible for Kevin to then go to his attorney and say, help me, because now there's new evidence, new information, right. there's a confession. But... um. 
Here's the thing, Robert. Confessions, especially when they're coming from the prison system itself, tend to not always, you know, carry a lot of weight. Is that correct? There's a lot of suspicion about it. Um, I'd agree that there's definitely suspicion and that you want to sort of figure out in terms of what is the motivation behind it. But I would agree in terms of that's more of a question of weight versus admissibility, meaning that that information is relevant, that information should come in, um, and it will be up to a jury to decide how much weight they want to give to that in terms of that Carl has waited X amount of years, that Carl never came forward before. Carl is not getting out of prison for the rest of his life, and that's up for the new jury to weigh in as to they, how they want to factor that new information. And the prosecutor has not figured out yet what to do here in this case, whether there will be a new trial. I have a feeling a new trial would be really difficult, you know, really confusing. But, you know, that will be the prosecutor's decision. Now, um, I, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that we are talking about a very serious crime here. This is the, the commission of a murder. And that even if Carl or Kevin, I mean, everyone's in, somehow associated here, either convicted or claiming with very serious crimes. But I, I'm going to take a little detour on the, on the life of, um, of this family. So these identical twins, because they've been in the prison system, they have not seen each other in decades. And their mother has not seen them. And here's the amazing thing. When they brought Carl, the one who's making the admission, to a courtroom to, you know, go on the stand, um, make this admission in court about the letter, all of this, it's the first time the twins saw each other, were in the same room, and their mother was in the courtroom, and everyone was crying. Nobody could touch each other, but you've got... Carl on the stand, Kevin, you know, behind the, the table, and then you have the mother in, you know, the gallery where the people sit and everyone's crying because it's the first time everybody's seen each other in 38 years. Like, right. how crazy is that? Yeah, I mean, especially in terms of, like I said, for that family, that mother has lost two sons to the criminal justice system. And that's not to make light of the fact that there's another family that lost their loved one yes. who was tragically killed. So there are no winners in a case like this. Everyone is suffering at some point. Yes, absolutely. But I just really, you know, when you look at this and and so much loss and trauma and crime, and then you see how it affects a family from a different perspective, it's just like that to me was a window into something we don't often discuss. So it was an attorney at Northwest Pritzker School of Law that took on Kevin's case. And the letter of confession was written in 2013, and then they went to court to get the case dismissed in 2018. This would be the murder charge against Kevin. But the judge ruled that the confession wasn't credible and denied it. Are you really surprised? Um, I would be. uh, I am somewhat in terms of at this stage, because you have post-conviction relief uh, and it's called a lot of different things in, in different states so he's gone through his normal course of appeal saying that there was something wrong in the trial and at this stage you only get review or one of the things that you can get review for if you are able to show there is new evidence evidence that could not have been uncovered at the time of the trial so here they were saying we could not have known this at the time of the trial that the twin brother did it and i think that 
although I guess we say it's discretionary, but I would agree that they should have erred on the side of caution and said, hey, this is new evidence that a jury would could have considered. And if they did, could have reached a different decision, which is what I guess the later court did. Yes, exactly. So, you know, Kevin's attorney claims that this confession, this evidence could not have been uncovered at the time, as, as you have just said. So on appeal, the Illinois Court of Appeals overturned the conviction, and this happened in 2021. The judges said that a jury hearing all the evidence available now would not reach the same conclusion. They would likely not convict Kevin knowing all that we know now, whether you believe it to be true or not. So that is why the Court of Appeals said, this is overturned and you will be released. So Kevin was, he is now mostly a free man. I want to ask you about this. He's currently in something called transitional, in a transitional facility for the next 90 days. Is that, that he's, he's still a free man, right? Yeah, well, like I say, he's, he's free and obviously in terms of out of out of custody. And then but even though the case is overturned, like you alluded to earlier, the prosecutor still has to decide what they're going to do with this case. Are they going to dismiss it? Are they going to make a new offer that probably gives him credit for time served? Because no one is going to get out of jail and then agree to go right back in and serve additional time. Or are they going to want to try to take this case to trial again? And like you said, in terms of that would be more chaotic or just a mess because now you can have each brother take the stand and point the finger at each other and the jury would be left to say, well, whom do we believe? I don't know. And with no DNA evidence, no forensic evidence, all based on eyewitness testimony, and now you're dealing with identical twins. Oh my gosh. I don't know what Cook County is going to do on this one. I really don't. Yeah, it'll be an interesting one. And Cook County has had their fair fair share of interesting cases. So. <laughs> yes, they have. All right. Before we move on to our next case, here is a quick word from our sponsor. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.